We are in part two of our series in the book of Ezekiel, and so this morning, I want to focus on the way Ezekiel himself illustrated his prophetic messages to God's people. So we're going to take a look at Ezekiel chapter three all the way to five, and look at Ezekiel's message through living illustrations. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, and we're going to look specifically, uh, at least as a launch pad, Ezekiel chapter three verses 14 to 15, two verses. Would you read it with me? And the, the scripture is on the screen. The spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that you would speak purpose into the life of your people. God, many of us have plans. Many of us have made five-year and ten-year plans. We've been educated. We have careers. We have all sorts of directions that we're going in. But what we all need from you is purpose. Only you can fulfill that void in our lives. That means hearing from God and seeing what God wants to show us, getting time with you and hearing from your heart. So today, Lord, I'm praying for purpose to be imparted to your people, to those who are walking purposelessly. I pray that you'd gift it to them today with a new, fresh, profound sense of who they are in Christ and why you've created them. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the way you're speaking. God, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel is complicated, and we'll continue to say that probably from the beginning to the very end. So we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scripture to us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind that can understand and comprehend the Word of God through all these various illustrations. God, help us today. I declare my need for you as I preach the Word. Empower me for the task, I pray. And Lord, add your blessing to the preach word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard someone say these words? Best day ever. Best day ever. Now, these are the words of a person who just experienced something they had never experienced before. A new bar was set and everything prior would pale in comparison to this day. And we are right to think that the vision that Ezekiel experienced was probably the most climactic moment of his life. Best day ever. He had just seen a vision of the very place for which every believer longs for. It is heaven. But to our surprise, we find him back at home dealing with unexpected bitterness and anger. He's there sitting by the Kabar River and he's disappointed. What's the matter with Ezekiel? What's going on with him? Why, was he upset that the vision had finally come to an end? No, that's not it, because God will speak to him multiple times through visions of heaven. And God had called him to prophesy during the worst days of their history as a people. So Ezekiel was infuriated by the imposition of his prophetic office, that God had called him to, instead of being a priest, be a prophet. It was bothering him deeply. 
He was conflicted within and he struggled to comprehend the ways of the Lord and toward his people. So the raw emotions of Ezekiel remind us that the prophet of the Lord is indeed a human like all of us. He's no superhuman. All the people we read about in the word of God, they're not superhuman friends. They're just like you and me. And that's what actually makes it relatable for us that God uses simple people like us for extraordinary purposes. Nevertheless, it was the strong hand of the Lord that kept Ezekiel's emotions in check. And God gave him seven days, seven days to think about it, seven days to feel all the emotions before speaking to him again. And God uniquely addressed Ezekiel with the phrase, son of man. We see this shift. He starts calling him, not Ezekiel, but son of man. And why not call him Ezekiel? That's his name after all. But the phrase spoke to his prophetic function. He said, from this day, you're not Ezekiel, you're son of man, because I'm going to speak to you and use you as my prophet to the people. Even though God showed Ezekiel a vision of the Son of God seated in heaven, he was still co committed to using a human messenger to speak his salvation to a people headed towards destruction. God chooses to partner with people. Yes, God can do it all by himself, but he chooses to partner with people. Now, you might remember that Jesus was not only called the Son of God, he was also called the Son of Man. And so this phrase has this messianic meaning, a future meaning, that the Son of God, the one seated on the throne, was later sent as the Son of Man to speak of God's salvation plan to people headed towards destruction. So we can see how Ezekiel connects with the life of Jesus. One of the many methods that Ezekiel, the Son of Man, used to deliver his prophecies was to be a living illustration and we see five of these living illustrations between chapter 3 and chapter 5. And so this morning, I want to touch on several prophecies between these chapters and the way God spoke to Ezekiel, specifically using his five senses. And by appealing to his five senses, he captured Ezekiel's heart for prophetic ministry. The first point this morning is the Son of Man saw the prophecy. In order to do that, he needed to see with eyes spiritualized. Ezekiel 3, 16 to 17 says that at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. In the first living illustration, God had posted Ezekiel as the sole watchman of his people in the city. And this was more formally referred to as a sentry. Now, sentries were posted during the day and the night, and they were posted at elevated heights. And this gave them the advantage not only of height, but also of distance. And they were to be vigilant of enemy movement and then alert the people so that they could proactively respond to imminent threat. Now, some prophetic insights from God are to be seen. God wants to show visions to people. He wants you to see certain things. And to do so, you need your physical eyes, yes, but you also need a lens of a spiritual eyes. And we cannot be distracted. We cannot be focused. What we see might concern the spiritual state of God's people all around us. 
Christopher J.H. Wright, a great commentator, he noted that early warning could save lives. Sentry duty was thus an awesome responsibility. If the enemy attacked and people got killed, who was to blame? If the sentry had done his duty and given prompt warning, whatever happened next was not his responsibility. So Ezekiel's vision from God came at the price of prophetic responsibility. We all have responsibilities. And the responsibility for Ezekiel was not to fight a battle. It was to be ready to warn God's people. And this serves as a reminder of the need for prophetic watchmen and watchwomen in our time and in our day and in our church. We need this. In fact, I want to make you aware of a group of people who have been doing this. They've been active behind the scenes for many years at WPA. And these intercessors, they meet with me and we pray together regularly. Look at the picture on the screen. You'll see eight individuals who serve as WPA's intercessors. And this group is composed of these eight And when I called them to this ministry, I shared this very same passage with them. I said, I need watchmen and I need watchwomen who will pray, who will watch and keep their eyes open, who won't slumber and sleep on the job. And God has shown our intercessors many things in the past that have come to pass in our life as a church. And I pray that God will continue to show our intercessors many things in the future that will be fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, intercessors' ministry ministry is very unique. It's not just prayer. It's also discernment. It's also seeing visions and things from God, receiving information from God in various methods, not just simple methods. And then we have to consider what has been shared and we have to test the spirits and make sure this is of the Lord and this is for now and not for later. It's not just for an individual, but it's for the church. So there's a lot that goes into that ministry. It's not for everybody, but it's just for a few. The Lord told Ezekiel that he had a responsibility to warn both the righteous person and the wicked person from doing evil. Isn't that interesting? I understand warning the righteous person, but what about the wicked person? You know, let's start with the righteous person. If a righteous person did something evil and Ezekiel did not warn them, he would be accountable for their blood. If a righteous person did something evil and Ezekiel did warn them, he would not bear the responsibility, and in doing so, he would save himself. Then broadening all these responsibilities, we continue to the wicked person. If a wicked person did something evil and Ezekiel did not warn them, he would be accountable for their blood. Wow. And if a wicked person did something evil and Ezekiel did warn them, he would not bear the responsibility and in doing so save himself. So here's the thing. When God shows us something, we have a responsibility to do something. We can't just receive the thoughts of God. We must act upon the thoughts of God. And according to Solomon, in saying number 25, found in Proverbs 24, verses 11 to 12, the scripture says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. For if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? 
Does not he who guards their life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Friends, we have a responsibility. We are watchmen and watchwomen in this church, but also for this world. And we are not just keepers of our righteous brothers and sisters. We are also keepers of our wicked brothers and sisters. And they all need to be warned today. Second point this morning is that the Son of Man heard the prophecy. This meant engaging his ears. Ezekiel 3, 24 to 27. Then the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and he spoke to me and said, Go shut yourself inside your house. And you, Son of Man, they will tie with ropes. You will be bound so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them for they are a rebellious people. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Whoever will listen, let them listen. Whoever will refuse, let them refuse for they are a rebellious people. As we move forward, the illustrations get more weird each time. In the second living illustration, Ezekiel was shut in, he was bound up, and he was tongue-stuck. And this kept him from performing his prophetic task. And why would God go through all the effort of calling this prophet to do his work in his ministry and then restrict him for uh, seven days? What was the point of that? What good would that have? All of this was done to ensure that Ezekiel was truly hearing from God. How do you hear from God? Hearing from God requires isolation from the voices, the surrender of control, and the discipline of silence. That's how you hear from God. You have to eliminate all those extra voices. You have to surrender your control to Him. And you have to operate in the discipline of silence. You know, he had trained all of his life to be a priest, but he had never trained any day in his life to be a prophet. So Ezekiel was enrolled in the school of the Spirit, and the first lesson in the prophetic was that hearing precedes speaking. You should always hear before you speak. You need to hear a word from the Lord in order to speak for the Lord. Amen? God forbid we ever speak and then try to hear afterwards. We've missed it. Now, everything that God was, would do was conditional on him speaking, that if God did not speak, the prophet had nothing to say. And he, did not, he does not destroy without warning. He does not give hope without speaking. So to be used of the Lord, my friends, we need to train our ears. And you know, Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven fifteen. He said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus repeated seven times in the book of Revelation, according to the Apostle John, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. So the question is, who has ears? We all have ears. The rebellious people have ears but cannot hear. But the righteous people have ears and they do hear. That's the difference. Thirdly, today, the Son of Man spoke the prophecy. He uses his mouth to speak. Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. We should just stop for a moment and say, it's a five-point sermon. You're so lucky today. If you know me, it's always a three-point sermon. 
You're in for a treat. Or maybe not, I don't know. Verse 4 to 7, chapter 4, Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I've assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sins. So for 390 days you will bear the sins of, your peop- of the people of Israel. After you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sins of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days. A day for each year. And turn your face towards the siege of Jerusalem and with barred arm prophesy against her. In this third living illustration, Ezekiel was called to bed rest. Now, for some of us, bed rest sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Sounds like a dream come true. If I could just lay in bed all day, this would be so good for my body and for my soul. But here he was to bear the sins of Israel and Judah upon himself in this prophetic act. Now the years of sin were scaled down from years to days. And one year was represented by one day. So the 390 years represented four centuries of a divided monarchy going all the way back to King Solomon over Israel. Then for one year and one month, Ezekiel did nothing but lay on his left side for the sins of Israel. And then the 40 years represented the present generation of people from Judah under exile. So for an additional month and 10 days, Ezekiel did nothing but lay on his right side for the sins of Judah. So we're talking about a total of 430 days, one year and one month of his life. This is extreme. Let's just face it. I think we can say it. This is weird. (laughs) And I'm sure all of this was not without its side effects. He would have undergone some kind of physical suffering, be it bed sores or blood clots or muscle weakness and stiffness or digestive issues and probably goes on and on and on because of the immobility. You know, we look back in Scripture and 430 was a special number in Israel's history. It represented the number of years before the end of bondage and the beginning of the Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, we are told, now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430. So as you can see, God's people are under Babylonian occupation, and yet all the symbols and all the images are going back to the Exodus, to Egypt. And what God did in that time period, God is planning to do again in this period. I want you to know this today. Hear my heart. Nothing in this world lasts forever. Bondages and exiles and all sorts of things that you face will come to an end. God has marked out the days and the years. Our God is a numbers God. He gets it. Furthermore, there's something profound about Ezekiel bearing the weight of his people's sin. You know, as a priest, he understood the role of a mediator. He understood the purpose of the day of atonement for the sins of all of God's people. And this prophetic act that he was doing was done in order to feel the weight of their sin, but not to remove the weight of their sin. He felt it. He felt the weight of it but he really didn't do anything about it. Friends, that is something only Jesus can do. 
For Ezekiel, this bearing of sin was involuntary. He was told to do it. But for Jesus, this bearing of sin was voluntary. Ezekiel did not die. He didn't shed blood for sin. But Jesus died, and Jesus shed his blood for sin. So we see the parallel here. It was not only after completing this living illustration that it was only after completing this living illustration that Ezekiel was permitted to finally speak. His mouth was opened. He could prophesy. And facing that clay model of Jerusalem that he had constructed with his hands, Ezekiel prophesied against it. And while we're tempted to think that Babylon was the enemy, friends, Jerusalem was actually the one who had rebelled against God. So it's clear that God was not going to come rescue Jerusalem in the last minute, in the midnight hour. No, Jerusalem must fall in order for God to rebuild it again. Well, it gets weirder. Sorry to tell you. Fourth point today is that the Son of Man smelled the prophecy. Now, Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, and put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself, and you are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. And weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth, of the, a sixth of a hin of water and drink it at set times. And eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread and bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. Yikes. In this fourth weird living illustration, Ezekiel was called to illustrate the famine that would impact the lives of these defiled people. And this prophetic act was to be done simultaneously with the previous prophetic act, that while he was lying on his side, he was to cook this bread and do all these things. Now, Ezekiel was to ration the food as in times of scarcity and eat it at set times so that he would actually survive and not die. But I want to draw your attention to the smell of this prophetic act. The smell of fresh bread. Mm. Have you ever walked into a bakery and all of a sudden there's this waft in the air and you smell bread freshly coming out of the oven and then you say to yourself, mmm, <laughs> carbs. I get that feeling a lot. As you can tell. I love the smell of bread. There's nothing like it. But this prophecy literally stunk. It was gross. And the scent of human excrement as fuel would be repulsive to our nostrils. Yes, but then to go and cook bread over this type of fire would definitely render it inedible. I'm not eating anything cooked over any human excrement. But here Ezekiel was illustrating the repulsiveness of the rebellion and the defilement of God's people to his nostrils. Get it straight here. Ezekiel had avoided such defilement all of his life, having been a priest and training for it. And even though this prophetic act was God's idea and to not do so was to disobey, Ezekiel then he begs with God and he says, God, give me a substitute after which he approved cow dung 
Friends, I live in the country. Cow dung doesn't smell good. But then after seven years of smelling cow dung, you kind of get used to it. But even still, it stinks. And of course, God was like, hey, buddy, whatever makes you sleep better at night. You know, at the end of the day, poop is poop. It all stinks. But the famine would be one of the ways that God's wrath would come upon his people. And God said in verse 17 that the people would waste away because of their sin. And yes, there's a pun intended here because God is funny. Waste is the excrement, it's the dung, and just making sure that we understand that God has a sense of humor in the midst of all this judgment and prophecy. Here's the thing I want you to catch today. Friends, our lives are either an aroma or a stench to God. You either smell like a pleasing, fragrant aroma. It's the aroma of Christ in you, and everybody smells, and they say, mmm, smells good. Or you could be a stench, and everybody's like, no, thank you. Keep your distance. I don't want to have any part with you. You stink. Let's be honest. Some Christians stink. Some Christians stink. But let us have the aroma of Christ. Let us be a pleasing fragrance. Let us live our lives in such a way to be a living sacrifice that smells good to God. And fifth, and finally, Son of Man felt the prophecy. He felt it. Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Now, Son of Man, take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard. And then take a set of scales and divide up the hair. And when the days of your siege come to an end, burn a third of the hair inside the city. Take a third and strike it with the sword all around the city and scatter a third to the wind. For I will pursue them with drawn sword. But take a few hairs and tuck them away in the folds of your garment. Again, take a few of these and throw them into the fire and burn them up. A fire will spread from there to all Israel. Again, in this fifth and wacky living illustration, Ezekiel was told to cut his hair and burn a third in the fire, strike a third with the sword, and scatter a third to the wind. But here, as we've been seeing in this text, Ezekiel is faced with dilemma after dilemma after dilemma. And it all comes down to his identity and his purpose in life. Again, he thought he was going to be a priest, but here he is being a prophet. And according to Leviticus 21, verse 5, priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. So you see the dilemma? It is right to infer from the scripture that Ezekiel, he had long hair on his head and he had a long beard that he had never cut in his life. So God was asking him to do something he didn't really want to do. He'd been told his whole life, you're never going to do this, don't do it. Would Ezekiel operate in the prophetic by doing whatever God had asked him to do, or would Ezekiel operate in the priestly by doing what the law required? This is the conundrum. Once again, we are reminded that he has an issue with his calling. As Ezekiel's hair was cut and shaved, Israel was about to be cut and shaved. And the hair represented people. Every strand of it was a person. Many people. 
And what the prophet did with the hair represented the methods of God's various judgments. That in verse 12, the sovereign Lord promised that a third of your people will die of the plague or perish of famine inside of you. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls. And a third I will scatter to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. So if we do the math, one third plus one third plus one third equals one whole. Correct? Okay, good. I passed elementary school. But was God going to destroy all of his people? Of course, the answer is no, because a few hairs were to be tucked where? In the fold of Ezekiel's garment. These hairs represented those who would receive and respond to his prophetic warnings. And not many people, but just a few people. You know, our God, he never exercises his judgment without preserving a remnant for himself. As we come to a close this morning, I invite the worship team to return to the platform. I know this isn't the best message in the world. It's not the most inspiring thing in the world. But here's the thing. At WPA, we preach the whole counsel of God's word. It's not easy to preach. But there's something there for us if we'd listen. And uh, I know the stories and the prophecies and the illustrations are absolutely weird. (laughs) I'd be the first one to say it. But it means we still have to work through it. We can't just pick and choose what scriptures we want to read and what scriptures we want to negate. That's not how it works. We read the whole counsel of God's word. So we need to realize that as much as God was prophesying to Israel, he was also speaking purpose into Ezekiel. All at the same time. And I think some of us can really relate to Ezekiel, that some of us have typecasted ourselves to be someone who God has not made us to be. That we think we're a priest, but he says we're a prophet. Some of us think we're a shepherd, but God's calling us to be a prophet. That's what all this 5Q stuff you hear at church is all about. It's about discovering the gifts that Christ has given to his church. And I'll tell you, some people are like amazed. I'm not a prophet, no. I don't have a prophetic gift. Are you kidding me, pastor? I am shepherd through and through. And I say to them, "Uh uh-uh. Then all the people around them say, "Uh uh-uh. And then we explain to them why there might be prophetic gifting in their lives. And then they're like, you know what? I'm starting to see it. Okay, I have a prophetic gifting in my life. Now what? We need to discover who God has created us to be. And many of us have trained and prepared ourselves for a career instead of a calling. You thought you're going to be working in the temple, right? Like Ezekiel, I'm going to be there. This is what I'm going to do. This is all I'll ever do for the rest of my life. But God has different plans for you. Why are you boxing yourself in? Ezekiel had to come to terms with who God wanted him to be. You and I, we have to come to terms with who God wants us to be. You know, some with foresight, maybe you're young today, you might say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse. And you could fill that in with any blank, but maybe God actually wants you to be something else. I don't know. Maybe with hindsight, maybe you've lived a lot of life and you're looking back on your life in reflection and you might say, I wanted to be, and you fill in the blank. But then you can see with hindsight, God actually wanted me to be blank. 
Maybe you listened to that voice and you changed directions. Or maybe you disobeyed that voice and you didn't do what he told you to do. I don't know. But the ministry God has called you to might not be easy, my friend. The ministry God has called you to might not make sense to you right now. Just like it was for Ezekiel. He didn't fully understand what he was called to. But friends, it's not about our plans. It's about God's purposes. So I pray that the strong hand of the Lord would be upon all of us at WPA today, as it was upon Ezekiel, that though you may be angry and you might be bitter about how things are going at this stage of your life, I just want to encourage you, stop fighting with God. He's God. We are just mere men and women. He has a big plan. Our plans are small. Here's what I want to leave you with. I pray that you'd hold on to it. Let the God who created you on purpose give you a sense of purpose that serves his purposes. Can I just break that down for you just for a moment? This beautiful quote that God laid on my heart. Some of you actually don't believe you're here on purpose. Some of you think you're just random, that just nobody, God doesn't care about you. You're just here and that you're not wonderfully made. You're struggling with that. Why am I here? No one likes me. I don't understand why I'm here on planet Earth. I'm here to tell you today, God has created you on purpose. Somebody needs to hear that today. God has created, you're not a mistake. People might think you're a mistake, but you're not a mistake. And secondly, so the God who created you on purpose give you a sense of purpose. God is here today to give you a sense of purpose that maybe you haven't had yet. That he's willing to gift it to you and to reveal it to you and upload it into your life so that you, finally you can live your life not just as a vagabond through life, but with purpose. And then thirdly, let the God who created you on purpose give you a sense of purpose that serves his purposes. You are not here just for you. It's not about your five-year plan and your 10-year plan. It's not about that. It's not about you and your little empire and you and your little house. It is about the big kingdom of God and his salvation plan for this world and his redemptive work. That's what it's all about. And his plan for your life, the reason why he created you and the reason why he gave you purpose was to fit into his big purpose. Some of you just have to come to realization that that's how this works. Where do you fit into God's big plan? Some of you say nowhere. I'll tell you something. You fit somewhere. He has something specific for you to do that only you can do. And you have to play your part. So let the God who created you on purpose give you a sense of purpose that serves his purposes. Let's pray.